It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Due to the graphic nature of this woman's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of the brutalities of the Holocaust, including torture, murder, sexual assault, and abortion that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Dr. Gisela Pearl looked on with pity at her patient. Pearl had been imprisoned in the Auschwitz concentration camp for less than a year, but she was already used to treating this sort of injury. Her patient's breasts were covered with infected lacerations, the aftermath of a vicious whipping. The exam was interrupted by the patient's attacker, a camp guard named Irma Greza. Peril couldn't ask Irma to leave because the beast would interpret the request as a sign of disrespect and have Peril beaten, or worse. While Irma watched, Dr. Peril operated. She had no access to anesthesia. She couldn't even sterilize the knife she used to cut into the woman. The surgery would be agonizing, but it was necessary to save the patient's life. Peril hated to see her patient suffer, but when she glanced up at Irma, what she saw revolted her. As Para later explained, Irma Greza was enjoying the sight of this human suffering. Her tense body swung back and forth in a revealing rhythmical motion. Her cheeks were flushed and her wide open eyes had the rigid, staring look of complete sexual paroxysm. Picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Did you picture a woman? We didn't think so. Society associates men with dangerous crimes. But what happens when the perpetrator is female? Every Wednesday, we examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of female criminals. Hi, I'm Sammy Nye. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And you're listening to Female Criminals, a ParCast original. This is our second episode on Irma Greza, a sexual sadist and Nazi concentration camp guard. At the age of 19, Irma was assigned to work in Auschwitz-Birkenau. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Last week, we covered Irma's childhood in rural Germany. Hitler rose to power while Irma was still a young girl, and she soon found herself enamored with the chancellor in spite of her father's disapproval. The culture of Nazi authoritarianism nurtured and heightened Irma's vicious streak. 
When Irma was unable to complete training to become a nurse, she instead took a job as an Aufseherinnen, or female guard, at Ravensbrück concentration camp in 1941. There, Irma embraced cruelty and quickly rose through the ranks. After one year in Ravensbrück, the 19-year-old was offered a promotion. She assumed the high-ranking position as Report Führerin, or Report Leader, at Auschwitz-Birkenau. This week, we'll discuss Irma's career at Auschwitz-Birkenau and Bergen-Belsen. We'll also discuss the way the media shaped Irma's narrative after her death. The sexual nature of her crimes has intersected with Irma's femininity to create a larger-than-life mythology after her death. Before we get into the story, a quick note. Few records of Irma's actions as a concentration camp guard exist, and most of what we know comes from survivor accounts. Often the specific dates and locations of certain events aren't known. Irma arrived at Auschwitz-Birkenau in March of 1943, when she was 19. Auschwitz-Birkenau was different from her previous posting, Ravensbrück, because it was larger, with more prisoners. It was also integrated with both male and female inmates, whereas Ravensbrück was women only. Most importantly, Irma's new position as a report leader meant that she held a higher rank in the camp's hierarchy. Soon after Irma arrived at Auschwitz-Birkenau, she adopted a pair of large dogs. She kept them near starving so that the animals were unusually vicious and aggressive. When Irma felt that a prisoner failed to show her proper respect, she unleashed her dogs to tear them apart. Around the same time, Irma fashioned a whip out of wire and cellophane, which she carried around with her everywhere. She often lashed her prisoners with it. Irma made for a striking figure with her tall boots, cellophane whip, and perfectly combed hair. Her reputation for brutality and vanity soon earned Irma numerous nicknames, including the Hyena of Auschwitz. Irma's use of a whip and violent dogs bear a telling similarity to the behaviors of Theodora Bintz, the cruel chief wardress and training instructor at Ravensbrück concentration camp. Bintz oversaw Irma's training when she began her career as an Aufseherinnen. Like Irma, Bintz was infamous for her brutality. She reportedly loved to beat prisoners with little or no provocation. She too carried a whip and kept a violently vicious German shepherd with her at the camp. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Sammy. Dr. Charles Stangor identified a phenomenon termed referent power in the book Principles of Social Psychology. A person with referent power has not only authority, but also a strong ability to influence those under their charge who may identify with them. The obedient party often changes their behavior to mimic the person in power without even realizing that they're doing so. For example, if your boss is a powerful blonde woman, you, as a woman in the same field working under her, might find yourself considering dyeing your own hair blonde without even knowing why. That's referent power. Given Irma's strong psychological inclination toward authoritarianism, it's likely that she modeled her own appearance and behavior on Bintz, who'd earlier held power over her. At Auschwitz-Birkenau, 
Irma soon made her own mark. She'd always received attention for her natural good looks and remained obsessed with vanity. She ordered custom-tailored jackets from a famous dressmaker named Madame Greta. Irma spent hours doing her hair every morning and wore strong perfume. Not only was Irma's perfume use a sign of her vanity, but it was also a subtle form of torture. She knew that the prisoners at Auschwitz-Birkenau were dirty, tired, and poor. By wearing a memorable perfume, Irma continually reminded her prisoners of those luxuries they could no longer have. Other forms of torture were more overt. Irma didn't hesitate to beat or kick inmates. No one was beneath her notice, and it was clear to her victims that Irma derived sexual pleasure from her cruelty. Based on the details we have about Irma's actions, it seems likely that she was a sexual sadist. Sexual sadism is the tendency for the sadist to derive sexual arousal when causing his or her partner physical pain. Sadism can be practiced in safe and consensual ways, but a study published in Aggressive Behavior by Carrie A. Robertson and Raymond A. Knight showed that sexual sadism often correlates with an antisocial personality disorder, as both sadists and people with APD share a desire for control and domination. During her tenure as a guard, Irma frequently found ways to sexualize her violence. She often targeted the most beautiful prisoners for torment. She may have been jealous of their appearance or may have grown more aroused when she was attracted to her victims. Irma was quick to whip large-chested women on their breasts. Often those whip marks became infected. Irma then watched as those women sought medical treatment, growing visibly aroused and, by some accounts, masturbating during the treatment. It's difficult to say when it started or how often it happened, but during Irma's time at Birkenau, she also sexually assaulted numerous female prisoners. This is particularly notable because Irma's assaults were in direct defiance of the Nazi party's stances against same-sex relationships and sexual relations with Jewish inmates. Dr. Ilan H. Meyer, who specializes in sexual orientation law, conducted a series of studies measuring how societal homophobia impacted lesbian, gay, and bisexual people psychologically. First, he observed a phenomenon called minority stress, in which lesbian, gay, and bisexual men and women tended to internalize the hate they experienced due to their sexual orientations. In a follow-up study, Meyer explored the long-term impacts of minority stress, which included unhealthy coping mechanisms and a higher likelihood of sexual promiscuity and sexually risky behaviors. When Irma found a woman she wanted to have sex with, she ordered the prisoner to sleep with her. Many of these women complied, knowing that they risked violence or death if they refused Irma's demands. During the length of their abusive relationship, Irma showed partiality to her victims. Accounts suggested that one of Irma's sexual partners received extra food rations. Irma even had her partners reassigned to maid services in her home so that she had access to her victim whenever she wanted. But inevitably, over time, Irma grew bored with her partner. Then the victim was sent away to the gas chambers. 
Even while she engaged in these coercive relationships with her prisoners, Greza continued taking lovers from the ranks of SS guards stationed at Auschwitz-Birkenau. While the existence of such a relationship has never been proven, rumors suggested that Irma was even involved with Dr. Josef Mengele, a cruel Nazi doctor famous for his torturous experiments on concentration camp prisoners. Mengele, also known as the Doctor of Death, arrived at Auschwitz-Birkenau on May 30, 1943, only weeks after 19-year-old Irma's transfer. He soon ran painful medical tests on the inmates there. He was obsessed with proving that his victims were inferior to Aryan Germans and often tortured his patients to death to try to prove his point. Even if their relationship was never romantic, Irma and Mengele had a close professional camaraderie. She often attended Mengele's medical experiments, watching with excitement as he maimed patients who came under his care. Mengele also evaluated new prisoners upon their arrival at Auschwitz. He chose who went into the camp to work and who was sent directly to the gas chambers to be executed. This evaluation was supposed to be strictly under the purview of male guards, but many prisoners reported that Irma frequently selected who should live and who should die on Mengele's behalf. Irma's jealousy and vanity often came through during these selection processes, and she regularly sent the most beautiful female prisoners straight to their deaths. During her tenure at Auschwitz-Birkenau, Irma met Unterscharführer Franz Hatzinger. As Unterscharführer, or sergeant, Hatzinger oversaw construction at the camp. The two soon fell for one another. Irma and Hatzinger met late at night for sexual liaisons. While she had numerous partners among the SS guards, Irma seemed to actually love Hatzinger. Soon, however, Irma's sexual encounters would catch up to her. In 1944, the 21-year-old guard discovered that she was pregnant. Coming up next, we'll discuss Irma Greza's pursuit of an illegal abortion. Now back to the story. In 1944, 21-year-old Irma Greza discovered she was pregnant after numerous sexual encounters with other Nazi guards and inmates at Auschwitz. Her out-of-wedlock pregnancy, if discovered, would serve as evidence of Irma's moral deficiency and incompatibility with Nazi ideals she could lose the one thing she cared about, her job as a Nazi guard at Auschwitz-Birkenau. It's unclear who the father was. Given Irma's sexually active lifestyle, she may not have known either, but she did know that she was in trouble. Abortion was illegal in Nazi Germany, but Irma knew who to ask, a Jewish doctor named Gisela Perl, who was interned at Auschwitz-Birkenau. Dr. Perl worked as a gynecologist before the Holocaust began and now served as a doctor in the camp. Soon after Dr. Perl arrived at Auschwitz-Birkenau, she learned that pregnant women were automatically enrolled in Dr. Mengele's cruel experiments. Those who survived the experiments were executed once Mengele was done with them, even while they were still pregnant. During her imprisonment, Perl performed countless abortions in order to save the lives of her patients. She knew she'd be executed if the guards knew of her activities, so Perl only ever terminated pregnancies in the middle of the night. 
She met pregnant women in their barracks and couldn't use any anesthetic or medical tools as she didn't want to draw suspicion by using the camp's equipment. According to Peril's autobiography, I was a doctor at Auschwitz, Irma Greza called Peril to the maternity ward one day. Once the women were alone, Irma confessed that she was pregnant. It was against policy for prisoners to even touch their guards at Auschwitz, let alone examine them. But Peril complied and confirmed that Irma was pregnant. Irma revealed that she knew about Peril's abortions and that she wanted one. Peril was shocked. She didn't know how Irma learned about the abortions or how long she'd known. The penalty for performing an abortion was death, but refusing Irma's order would also get her killed. Ultimately, Peril decided that she was dead either way, so she may as well do as Irma asked. Peril wasn't prepared to perform the surgery right then, so she agreed to meet Irma the next day in a small shack. At the appointed time, Peril was surprised to see that Irma showed up for her appointment not only with sterilized medical tools, but also armed with a gun. The gun was just added incentive for Peril to perform the operation. There was no backing out now. Peril asked Irma to lie down on a bench. With her loaded gun clutched in her hand, Irma did as she was told. While Peril worked, she weighed the likelihood that Irma would turn on her the moment the procedure was complete. The doctor made peace with what she assumed was imminent death. Soon, the operation was complete and it was a success. Irma was unharmed and no longer pregnant. She rose to her feet and said, you are a good doctor. What a pity that you have to die. Germany needs good doctors. Peril braced herself for the fatal gunshot, but it never came. Instead, Irma reminded Peril that she had to keep the abortion a secret. Then, she promised to give Peril a warm coat in reward for successfully completing the procedure. Without another word, Irma walked away. For weeks after the procedure, Peril waited for her inevitable arrest, but it never came. Irma had nothing to gain from reporting Peril. Doing so would require her to confess to her own unplanned pregnancy and abortion, and Irma had no desire to expose herself. Peril was never convicted for performing illegal abortions, but she never received the coat that Irma had promised her either. Irma also managed to avoid getting caught, and soon she received yet another promotion. In May of 1944, at the age of 21, she rose to the rank of Uberoff Zierin, the second highest rank a female concentration camp guard could achieve. She held the position for seven months, and her tenure was a reign of terror for the 30,000 prisoners under her authority. In her autobiography, Fragments of Isabella, Auschwitz-Birkenau survivor Isabella Leitner wrote of the regular humiliations Irma enacted against her prisoners. Every day, inmates were required to stand at attention for roll call, which didn't end until the guard declared the roll call complete. Often, even after prisoners were accounted for, Irma claimed that the count was one short. She pretended to search for the missing prisoner for hours. Meanwhile, the prisoners, exhausted, underfed, often sick and feverish, remained standing, 
until Irma grew bored with the game and released them. On one occasion, a sick and exhausted girl collapsed to the ground during roll call. Irma blamed the collapse not on the sick girl, but on a pretty prisoner that Irma was attracted to, a woman named Shisha. As punishment for the other girl's collapse, she made Shisha kneel on the ground and hold two heavy rocks above her head. All of the prisoners watched while frail Shisha struggled to hold the rocks for hours. Another survivor, Judith Strick-Dribben, recounted in her memoir that Irma supervised teams of inmates while they transported heavy stones outside the camp. When one team dropped their stones, Irma unleashed her dogs on the women. Some women managed to escape the dog attack. Irma ordered them beaten. But Irma would soon face justice. Throughout early 1945, Allied armies captured more and more Nazi territory. In January of that year, the Allies marched through Poland, drawing closer to Auschwitz-Birkenau. On January 18, 1945, 21-year-old Irma was transferred from Auschwitz to the relative safety of Ravensbrück, the same concentration camp where she'd trained a scant two and a half years earlier. March of 1945 spelled the beginning of the end as the Allies successfully retook France and crossed the Rhine River into Germany. Once again, Irma fled to a new concentration camp, Bergen-Belsen, for her own safety. There, Irma reunited with her old lover, Franz Hatzinger. He'd been sent directly to Bergen-Belsen from Auschwitz. They resumed their romantic relationship. Irma and the other guards weren't the only people who traveled from camp to camp, trying to stay one step ahead of the Allied army. The guards also evacuated their prisoners, sending them on death marches. Whoever survived the journey resumed their forced labor in a new camp. Irma was at Bergen-Belsen at the same time a young girl named Anne Frank reached the camp after marching from Auschwitz-Birkenau. Anne died at Bergen-Belsen in March 1945, within days of Irma's arrival. Many of the same prisoners that Irma had terrorized at Auschwitz-Birkenau were relocated to Bergen-Belsen. In her memoir, Return to Auschwitz, survivor Kitty Hart recounted her feelings of despair when she stepped off the train to find familiar tormentors waiting for her. She said, the old gang, Graysa and the rest of them must have been sent there from Auschwitz. We knew what to expect from such creatures. Irma found it humiliating to have to continually flee and run like some kind of coward. And she responded to her loss of power by acting even more cruelly. Clinical psychologist Lisa Firestone wrote in a piece titled The Inner Voices Behind Violent Behavior, that people with an inflated self-image often lash out in violence. When the aggrandized sense of self is threatened, for example, by slights or perceived disrespect. Irma Greza only served at Bergen-Belsen for two months, but she still established herself as a fearful and violent authority. During her short tenure, she earned yet another nickname, the Beast of Belsen. While snow fell and ice storms raged, Irma ordered her prisoners to stand at attention or kneel on the ground for five or six hours at a time. If anyone slouched, she would beat the prisoner unconscious. In one account, 
Irma ordered a pair of kitchen workers to peel potatoes and throw out the peels. When the workers attempted to eat the peels, assuming their guard wouldn't miss food meant for the trash, Irma brutally punished them. On April 15, 1945, Bergen-Belsen was captured by British troops. Before the siege, 21-year-old Irma Greza had the opportunity to once again relocate to a safer camp, but she refused. Her lover, Franz Hatzinger, was remaining in Bergen-Belsen, and Irma didn't want to leave him behind. Her decision was fatal. That day, British Brigadier Bob Daniel was trying to enter a building when he felt something poke the small of his back. Slowly, cautiously, he turned around. Next, he saw what he described as an immaculate German woman, very tidy and very well-dressed. She had her gun leveled at him and her attack dog on a leash. Even in the face of an armed Irma Greza, Daniel didn't feel threatened. He couldn't imagine someone who looked so attractive and feminine could be dangerous. He urged her to escape, and she did. Afterward, when describing the incident, Daniel confessed that he'd feared the real threat was the large dog Irma had with her. Jonathan Jackson of the Mannheim Center for Criminology noted that people are more likely to fear crime if they feel vulnerable. Men are generally larger and stronger than women, and so are less likely to fear violence from women. Even after British troops took Bergen-Belsen, they didn't arrest the female concentration camp guards. While they arrested, tried, and hanged the male SS officers, the British assumed the women weren't dangerous and put Irma and her compatriots on grave-digging duty. Many female concentration camp guards were able to escape from justice and return to their lives. Allied forces invaded Nazi Germany with traditional sexist values intact. These troops refused to believe that women could be complicit in the evil and brutality of the concentration camps, even when presented with ample evidence of their behavior. Professor Sonia Starr of University of Michigan's law school found in her paper, Estimating Gender Disparities in Federal Criminal Cases, that men are twice as likely as women to serve prison time for the same offenses, and men's sentences are 63% longer and harsher. Meanwhile, the liberated camp survivors testified to the British about what they'd survived. The troops were astonished to hear numerous accounts of the beautiful blonde woman who had terrorized her prisoners for years. On April 17, 1945, Irma's lifetime of cruel and abusive behavior finally caught up with her, and she was arrested by the British troops. Soon, she was charged with murder and ill-treatment of prisoners. The penalty, if she was convicted, was death. Coming up next, we'll explore Irma's trial and execution. Now, back to the story. On April 17, 1945, 21-year-old concentration camp guard Irma Greza was arrested for her brutal treatment of the prisoners under her guard at Auschwitz-Birkenau. During Irma's imprisonment in a facility three kilometers away from Bergen-Belsen, an epidemic of typhus spread through their camp. Her lover, Franz Hatzinger, died of the disease at the age of 35 on April 23, 1945. Hatzinger was likely the only man Irma ever truly loved, 
his death was devastating to her. She eventually stood trial for her crimes on June 16, 1945, alongside 44 other guards. 22 defendants were women. Irma was defendant number nine. The press delighted in photographing the young and beautiful Irma Greza. She was only 21 years old, and even as she stood trial for her life, Irma continued to obsess over her appearance. It was reported that, during recesses, she rushed to the nearest mirror to fix her hair. For the first time since her father kicked her out of the family home, Irma briefly reunited with her sister, Helena, who was called to testify on her behalf. During the trial, Helena discussed their childhood. She described her sister as peaceful and said she could not believe that Irma would participate in such violence. Most of what we know of Irma's early life comes from these trial transcripts, but that information is highly suspect due to Irma's changing story about her life. She might have misrepresented her own mindset and actions in order to avoid a conviction, or perhaps she was lying to herself as much as to the jury. A study by the Department of Social Work and Psychology at the University of Yevla found that when people feel a sense of guilt, they struggle to access memories associated with their guilty feelings. The stronger the feeling of guilt, the harder it is to recall the memory. When Irma was questioned about her role in selecting which prisoners to send to the gas chambers, she denied that she'd ever participated. Auschwitz survivors testified otherwise. An article titled, Disinhibition of Aggression Through Diffusion of Responsibility and Dehumanization of Victims, found that people were more likely to behave violently and aggressively toward those they viewed as less than human. When Irma was questioned about her own opinions of her actions, she said she was convinced all that had happened was right. Although she knew that her freedom and her life hung in the balance, Irma refused to show any kind of remorse for her actions. Like many Nazi war criminals, she denied culpability on the grounds that she was just following orders. As a young, beautiful woman who'd only known professional success since she'd turned 18, Irma may not have believed she'd ever be held accountable for her own actions. If so, Irma's confidence was misplaced. On November 17, 1945, along with eight male guards, Irma and two other Aufseherinnen were sentenced to death by hanging. For a month after her sentence, 22-year-old Irma was imprisoned in Hamlin, Germany. The prison consisted of one hallway with 11 small cells and an execution chamber at the end of the hall. Irma and the other prisoners couldn't leave their cells without seeing the ever-present reminder of their coming deaths. Irma lived with fellow convicts while she awaited the day of her execution. She formed an easy camaraderie with the other former camp guards. The knowledge of their impending death seemed to draw them closer together. A 2018 review of statements from death row inmates published in Frontiers in Psychology found that prisoners facing impending death often adopted positive attitudes. Their mindsets were primarily focused on love, religion, and community. If any of the condemned noticed any irony in their fall from jailer to jailed, they didn't comment on it. On December 12, 1945, the night before her scheduled execution, Irma sat up late with the other women. 
They received extra rations for their dinner and sang traditional German songs well past midnight. The next morning dawned and Irma was reportedly in a jovial mood. She chatted with her guards, laughing and telling jokes. She didn't give any indication that she was afraid of her looming death. The executioners constructed a double gallows, large enough to hang two inmates at once. They did this because of the high number of scheduled executions. After much debate, American troops decided to execute the women one at a time, but hang the men in pairs to save time. The women would also be killed first to spare them the horror of listening to the men's deaths all morning. At 9.34 a.m. on December 13, 1945, troops took away the first convicted woman, Elisabeth Folkenrath. Irma Gresa waited half an hour after Folkenrath's departure. Finally, at 10.04 a.m., the guards arrived and escorted Irma to the gallows. For the first time, Irma's calm exterior slipped. She'd spent her entire adult life cultivating a disaffected appearance, which she'd borne through concentration camp torture sessions and her trial. But now, as her death swiftly approached, Irma feared the pain of her execution. As the troops pulled a white hood over her face, Irma said, Schnell, which translates to quick. Irma stepped onto the gallows. The executioner dropped the trapdoor. Irma was declared dead immediately after the trapdoor opened. She'd received her request for a quick death. British policy dictated that hanged prisoners were to remain on the gallows for one hour after their death. But the executioners had too many criminals to kill that day. So they removed Irma's body after only 20 minutes. She was buried in the Hamlin prison courtyard. Nine years later, Irma was reburied in the Amville Cemetery. At 22 years old, Irma Gresa remains the youngest woman ever executed by the UK government in the modern age. Dr. Gisela Perel, who performed Irma's abortion, survived Auschwitz-Birkenau. After her liberation in 1945, she struggled with guilt and grief, especially once she discovered she was the only member of her family to survive. In 1947, Dr. Perel moved to the United States, where she lived for 32 years. In 1948, Perel wrote her memoir, I Was a Doctor in Auschwitz. In it, she recounted her experiences with Irma, including the secret abortion. Numerous other Auschwitz survivors also wrote memoirs that detailed their experiences with Irma Greza. While Irma's vicious nature was hardly unique, especially among Nazi concentration camp guards, she captured public attention due to the transgressive way she expressed her sexuality through violence. As Bianca Vida explained in her paper, Gendering the Holocaust, women are traditionally expected to be nurturing and gentle. Any female violence, such as that perpetrated by Irma Greza, is an affront to society. And a woman who enjoys violence is particularly shocking. Add to that the salacious and sexualized nature of Irma's crimes, and it's no wonder that the modern world latched on to Irma Greza as the face of Nazi perversion and evil. In 1974, Don Edmonds directed the movie 
Ilza the She-Wolf of the SS. It told the story of fictional Nazi doctor Ilza, who served in a POW camp. She performed a series of sexual and medical experiments on her prisoners until they staged a revolt and escaped the camp. Ilza the She-Wolf of the SS was just one entry in the burgeoning Nazi exploitation genre, a subset of the exploitation and sexploitation genres, Nazi exploitation films sought to titillate and excite by telling violent and highly sexualized stories set in Nazi-run concentration camps. Ilza the She-Wolf of the SS was a surprise grindhouse success, launching a franchise with three sequels. Hollywood producers looked for more stories of sexually predatory female Nazi guards. Testimony about Irma Gresa was mixed with horrific accounts about other guards and buried behind layers of fictionalization, condensation, and artistic flourishes. Soon it became difficult to tell fact from fiction, especially in light of the fact that so few official records exist of Irma's life. For example, some stories claim that when Irma was arrested, Allied officers found three lampshades made of human skin in her home. This report may have been true, but it's more likely that this story is confusing Irma with another notorious camp guard, Ilza Koch, who was known to keep souvenirs made of the skin of her victims. In another account, Irma tied a woman's legs together while she gave birth. Because the woman couldn't spread her legs, her labor grew increasingly painful and dangerous. However, no record or first-person testimony exists to corroborate this story. Human skin lampshades and torturing a woman in labor would certainly be consistent with what we know of Irma's personality, but it's also exactly the sort of salacious story that would spring up about her character after her death. Over time, Whatever knowledge we have of Irma Greza the person has gotten wrapped up in cultural narratives about Nazism, violence, and feminine sexuality. Irma has come to symbolize evil, sexual sadism, and transgression as she's become a larger-than-life boogeyman. But Irma Greza didn't begin her life as a boogeyman or as a symbol. She was an ordinary woman, caught up in the thrall of authoritarian fascism, while today we feel horrified at the evil that Irma perpetrated, we can also treat her story as a cautionary tale of how easily a person can be conditioned to perpetuate evil. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Female Criminals as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Russell Nash. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Angela Jorgensen and stars Sammy Nye and Vanessa Richardson.